0: Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time, it's... Well... We're not actually going to have an episode this time. I apologize for the late notice. This week, I have not been able to produce an episode. It's the first time this has happened in quite a while, and I apologize for that. I just have a lot going on, and I need to take a week off. However, I don't want to leave you hanging, and I feel like you're owed something, so I'm going to share with you one of my favorite episodes of a podcast I used to do with Aubrey Henretti and Mark Gronke called Pantophobia which is fear of everything. This was a series we did on basically phobias that people had. And we talked with people with those phobias and tried to dig in a little bit as to what was going on. Why were they afraid of this? What did it feel like to have this fear and what have they done to overcome it? And well, I don't want to give anything away, but this person's particular fear was unique and interesting. And we actually did get somewhere when we were trying to take this all apart. If you're only interested in van life and you don't want to hear about this unusual phobia, go ahead and press stop and move on to another podcast and I will see you next week. But if you're a curious person, and I think you might be, you might find this episode of Pantophobia kind of interesting. Thank you very much for listening, as always, and I will be back with a normal show next week. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's what it's called, pantophobia, not fear of pants, though, if that's what you're thinking. It's fear of everything. And then our cat was just crying and looking at a corner. Oh, my gosh, it actually happened to somebody.
0: Hello, Jeff Wagg here from the College of Curiosity. Sometimes the things we're afraid of seem so irrational and so unlikely to happen that it's a wonder you could develop a fear of them at all. And then you find out those things really do happen. Co-host Aubrey Henretti takes us through the story.
2: I think that you have one of the greatest fears of any person I've ever met. Everyone has like a unique and interesting fear. There's a lot of good ones, but I feel like your fear is... It makes people ask a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. We certainly did the first time you told us about it. So if you would like, please introduce yourself and tell us what you're afraid of.
1: Okay, my name is Averill, and I am afraid of stepping on a fish. Well, actually I'm afraid of a fish jumping out of a tank or the water or wherever it lives, landing on the floor and me stepping on it to be more specific.
2: Has this actually happened to anybody that you know in human history?
1: I think it's happened to my sister-in-law, which I haven't talked to her about that in a long time, but yeah.
2: So walk us through the genesis of this fear, because this is a very specific sequence of events. Were you always afraid that this would happen? Did this always like, in this sequence, you were always like, fish jumps out of a tank. I walk by and accidentally step on it exactly the right moment.
1: I don't think it was like always there but I like there's a picture of me when I was like 4 at my great uncle's ranch in Texas and I'd caught I think it was a sunfish and like I am as far away as the from the fish as I can get as I'm like holding it on my fishing pole with my stomach completely sucked in and I look super nervous <laughs> but I remember being probably about 10 at my grandparents' house in Maryland. And they had a pond in their backyard with koi. And they also had an aquarium in their house. And we would go to this aquarium store in Glen Burnie, Maryland. And I remember being in that store and not wanting to walk down the aisles because I thought I saw possibly a fish on the ground. And I was super like worried about stepping on a fish and that maybe there were going to be more fish that might jump out and then I would step on them. And I just could not handle that.
2: So looking back, do you know if there actually was a fish there? Or I think were there just... were dead fish. I think there were a couple dead fish.
1: And occasionally, even at Meijer, I'll see dead fish on the floor.
2: I was going to save this question, but since you mentioned yes. Meijer, yes. the question is, Do you think that this fear, because I find often when people have a fear, whatever that thing is just shows up in their life way more than it shows up in anyone else's life. And I think you have an amazing story that will illustrate that.
1: Well, I remember being at Meijer in college and going down the aisle. I was just shopping. I think it was in the cereal aisle and I walked all the way to the end and then the fish tanks were at the end and I like... Stopped dead and then I had to turn around and I went the other way because I didn't (laughs) want to walk by the fish.
2: (laughs) I have this memory of you explaining it as like the mire by your house had been rearranged so that the fit You couldn't get into the store without walking past them? Yeah, it
1: was. And it's still that way at one location where it's, it's like they're in one of the main center aisleways and it's at the end. It's like all these foodstuffs and everything. And then down one of the center aisles, when you get to the end of it, it's all the fish tanks and then a whole bunch of aisles back up onto the fish tanks. I remember the first time it was like, oh my gosh, this is horrible.
2: Can you like walk us through just how that went? Like you're you're doing your shopping, minding your own business.
1: I just remember it was I didn't think anything of it and then I like stopped dead and I think I sucked in my broth where it was like <gasps> and then I turned the cart around. I like totally went out of my way to try and get around the fish tanks because it was just I can't deal with this right now.
2: Did you think how could they do this? Why would you put fish tanks here? <laughs>
1: I think I did a little bit. I think I was just surprised that they were there. And it's just peculiar in terms of like, I don't really like fish tanks. And then there they are. (laughs) (laughs) Although now what's funny is that my kids really like the fish tanks. So I take them by the fish tanks. (laughs) So at least I've gotten it over to that extent. I'm willing to take my children by the fish tanks. But um, when I do it, I always look at the floor because I don't want to step on any fish. And I always try and stay as far away as I can, like in the aisle.
2: Have you ever done anything really ridiculous to avoid fish tanks or an aquarium at somebody's house? It used
1: to be that way in Meijer where I would do a huge wide berth around the fish tanks because I was I don't want to go anywhere near this.
2: Did you have a plan before you went in the store?
1: No, I don't think so. No. But I used to do that when this is a completely different fear, but I used to be afraid of this talking tree at Christmas time that was at one of the malls. And as soon as we would get into the mall, and it was when I was like three or four years old, I would start asking my parents, "Is Tilly the talking tree here? Is Tilly the talking tree here?" <laughs> <laughs> and It would be like, and they'd have to reassure me that we wouldn't go near that entrance. And then, like, if I thought we were getting near the entrance, and I'd be like, "We need to walk this way. We need to walk further away."
2: I remember things like that from childhood. Yeah, where yes. you're like, you're like your parents. You're like, listen, you don't understand. You need to understand how scared of this thing I am. Yes. You need to make sure this does not happen. <laughs> and they would be like it's not happening. And you'd be like, I'm not sure I believe you.
1: Yeah. So it just, it's what's stupid about the fish tanks too, is that if the fish tank is in like, looks like it's well cared for, or if it's like at a zoo, then for some reason I trust that fish tank because I trust that those fish are happy. It's just really <laughs> stupid. They, um, wouldn't,
2: they would not like, they aren't going to jump out. out. Yes, yeah. Because that's... they're
1: happy because they have a nice home.
2: <laughs> I want to get to the bottom of this. When you are worried about stepping on a fish, what is it about that experience that makes you afraid?
1: I think it's the idea of what it would feel like to step on a fish. I have a feeling that that has to do with a lot of it. And I think that fish as a whole just kind of gross me out. They've got those big bulgy eyes and the scales. And I remember when I was probably probably about 11 or 12 and we were at Disney World. They used to have this restaurant in the Oceans area at Epcot and we were eating right by this giant aquarium and this, it was a grouper fish kept coming up to the window and puking up another fish that it had ah. eaten and then it would re-eat the fish <laughs> and then it would puke it up again and then re-eat the fish. And that's definitely an image that has stuck with me. So I think it's a combination of, I don't like to step on gross things. And the idea that it's like a dead thing with eyeballs also really grosses me out. And the idea that I would step on something that I'm not planning on stepping on, where it's like you get surprised because something jumped out from somewhere and then you step on it.
2: Maybe you pay way more attention than I do to what's in front of your feet, but I can think of times where I'm walking and I accidentally step on a rock that I didn't realize was there and your foot kind of goes over it in that awkward way.
1: Yeah, I think I'm more worried about squishy things. Like I'm always really careful about not stepping on worms when it rains.
2: Oh, right. Even with shoes on.
1: Even with shoes on. Yeah.
2: Do you think you would feel it through shoes?
1: No, but I think it's just the idea that... You would know. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: This is exactly what I was saying. Everything you just said about like, oh, once I was in a store and there was a dead fish on the floor, or like once I saw a fish puking up another fish, these are things that have never happened to me. Yes. I've never been in a situation like that. Yeah. And I don't have a fear. of fish. Oh, do you eat fish? Um, If it's fried. <laughs> I like it when it's fried, but that's about it. So it doesn't resemble a fish at all. Yes. Yeah. Would you rather be afraid of something else? Do you think if you could swap this fear for like a more conventional fear, do you think you would do it?
1: I don't know, because I really don't like bats now. I like bats outside of my house, but within the past three years, we had, well, I was in our attic, which is a walk-up attic, and I was bringing down lawn furniture, and it disturbed a bat that happened to be living in our attic. So I was, like, in our attic with slanted ceilings that are, like, between six and ten feet tall, depending on the slope of the roof, with a bat flying around my head, (laughs) and then Earlier this fall, we had a bat actually get into the first floor of our house, and that was also really unpleasant. So I guess that's an added fear, but...
2: I love all the bonus fears.
1: In some ways, it's completely logical, because who wants a bat in their house? Not me.
2: <laughs> I feel similarly about mice after the yeah. mouse infestation that I had a couple of yeah. years ago. <laughs> you know, if you see a mouse like in the right context, oh, that's adorable. It's like furry. It has cute little hands and it's little whiskers. Yeah. Yeah. But when you see a lot of them in your apartment constantly and they like leap out from behind things and scurry past your feet, then you have a different relationship with them. I did find that I was not scared of them though. I found them gross and I was... I was angry at them, but I wasn't, I didn't have that fear response.
1: I think I definitely had the fear response of the bat. And part of it is because they swoop.
2: Yeah. (laughs) If it can fly, that like adds a layer. It
1: adds a layer. Yes. And the thing is too, is that they can get into like any kind of nook and cranny. And we've had critter control people out basically to try and help with the bat situation. But the problem (laughs) is if you have any hole on your house, the size of a dime, then a bat can get into it.
2: Right. That's like mice, too. Yeah,
1: it's like mice. So it's like, you just don't know. And even if you think they're gone, how do you know they're gone?
2: (laughs) I know that feeling very well. Yes. Are there bat traps?
1: We actually have some in our attic right now. And it's not recommended because, A, there's like issues with bats getting this like white nose syndrome. It's like a fungus where it's like killing off bat populations.
2: Oh, no. (laughs) Also,
1: the whole thing is like, if you have a hole, there's going to be another bat that gets in. So... Basically, we just need to get our house recited, and then it won't be a problem in terms of tiny holes on our roof line, which is the issue now. The other thing that makes me cringe about having bats in the house is you have to get rabies shots if you think somebody's been bitten or if you... Fall asleep in a room and later find out that's been there. And it's like seven days of shots, like multiple shots. And you have to either go to an ER or an urgent care, like for seven days in a row. And like the thought of having to do that with my entire family is just like, that just sounds like a nightmare.
2: Even if you don't find any evidence that you've been bitten?
1: Yes, because the bite marks can be so tiny. So wow. up until this fall, whenever we've had bats in our house, they've been exclusive to the attic. But this fall, it was probably an hour and a half of like trying to find the bat. And oh fortunately, we have a cat, and the cat found the bat. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh and we God. got it out of the house.
2: What did you do to get it out? Did you just like open up all the windows and...
1: We initially opened our back door because it was flying around the first floor of our house and we have a two story. So then the cat was like kind of freaking out. She was excited. And then we could just see it like flying around because we were just sitting watching a movie at like 1030 at night, we opened our back door. And then my husband Sean went around to the front of the house and he opened the front door while I was watching the back door. We didn't want it to fly out without us knowing it. And then we're on our phones looking online, like where do bats hide? And then they're like, they can hide in bookshelves. And we have all these book built-in bookshelves all over our house. And then of course I managed to leave like all the closets open in our bedroom. So then it was like, Oh, they can hide in closets, they can hide in cupboards, they can hide behind picture frames, they can hide anywhere. So then when we were going to bed, I think Sean had checked our bedroom because we basically checked the kids' rooms with our phones, flashlights on our phones, we'd like checked the bathrooms, we'd checked the whole house, we'd checked our room once. And then our cat was sitting on our bed right before we went to sleep, just crying and looking at a corner. And I was like, that's really weird. Why does she keep crying at that corner? So then I stood up on the bed with my phone and I looked and (laughs) there was the bat on the bookshelf. (laughs) So then we tried to transfer it into a Tupperware container. It did not work. So the bat's like flying around our bedroom now. And I was a total chicken. So I ran into the hallway because I'd left the door open. So I ran into the hallway, slammed the door behind me. It was just Sean and our cat (laughs) in the bedroom with his bat swooping up and down. And the cat tagged it a couple times. Like she hid it into the laundry basket and she was like on the bed jumping trying to get it. (laughs) Finally, after a couple minutes of this... I finally remembered that we have a door to the outside in our bedroom that of we could course. just open and the bat would fly out. So then I finally yelled a shot. I was like, open the door. We have a door in our bedroom. You so finally opened the door and the cat chased it outside. So
2: Wow. So you didn't have to take the family in for rabies. We didn't cats. have
1: to take the family in for shots because we managed to get it out of the house before anyone was sleeping.
2: But I did have to get the cat updated on
1: her rabies shot. I thought I should probably do that after her heroic bravery.
2: You got on this tangent because I asked if you would rather trade your fear of stepping on fish for some other fear.
1: And I don't know that I necessarily would, just because I think all fears in some way make you cringe, no matter what it is. And it's kind of like, it's one thing or another. I don't think it really matters.
2: (laughs) Like, if you <laughs> traded it for something else, you would then run yes. into that thing the very yeah. next day. Yeah,
1: and I guess, like, right now, probably, I would rank bats almost above the stepping on the fish thing. To some extent, I've gotten over the stepping on the fish thing, because I have to take my kids by the aquariums and everything at mire. But um, with bats, totally, if there was another one in my house, I would probably still act just as irrationally.
2: So. Well, there, I mean... There are no aquariums in your house.
1: No, exactly. There are no aquariums in my house. So I'm sure that's part of it too.
2: And despite your one experience of being surprised by the presence of an aquarium, they can't really sneak up on you.
1: They can't, no.
2: Or hide in your bookshelves.
1: Exactly. Yes. Yes.
2: Can you talk about the first time your kids pulled you over to look at the fish?
1: I think it was just when I had my older daughter. My younger daughter wasn't born yet. And
2: I think she was about one and a half or
1: so. And so she indicated she wanted to go see the fish. And then my mom was like, oh, we have to go see the fish. And so then it was just like, well, I guess I just have to suck it up and do it.
2: When you did suck it up and walk over, were you burning inside or like were you able to let it go? Um, it? I
1: think for the most part, I was able to let it go. And it was
2: just the kind of thing where it's like,
1: this is ridiculous. Like, You're over 30 years old and you don't want to go buy the fish tank. <laughs> like, <laughs> This is really <laughs> stupid. So it was just the kind of thing where it's like, no, you just have to do this and you might not like it, but just look at the floor and make sure there's nothing there and you're fine.
2: So in a way, your daughter's curiosity about the fish helped you, at least in that moment, get past your own fear. I love symbolism. I know. You said that maybe your sister-in-law stepped on a fish one time. Do you know the story about that? It was when she was a kid. I think it was her
1: fish. And I think it was like the fish jumped out of the bowl and she stepped on it. (laughs) <laughs> and I just remember being like absolutely horrified when she told me about that because it was like oh my god it happens like it really happens to people
2: did she tell you unprompted or did you tell her about your fear and then she was like oh that happened to me no I think she told it unprompted or it was just oh. like
1: oh my gosh it actually happened to somebody
2: <laughs> do you remember how old you were I don't know how long your sister-in-law's been in your life my
1: brother and her got married when I was 19 so I mean I probably found out when I was 19 or 20 or so
2: Okay, so it's yeah. around the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah,
1: I know. And that actually reminds me of one more like fish thing is I think it's about every 10 years there's like in the alewives that live in like Michigan, they'll they'll have like this massive die-off. And I remember going to the beach in high school with friends and the beach was filled with fish <laughs> carcasses. Like everywhere. If it was like closer to the parking lot, then they were dried, like sun dried. And then as you got like closer, it was mushy and it reeked. It was disgusting. And I think that's something that really stuck with me in terms of like, I don't want to step on any of these. These are disgusting. And it was really hard not to because they were absolutely everywhere. Did your friends
2: know? At that
1: point, I don't think my friends did know that I was so worried about stepping on a fish. But that certainly didn't help the situation when I visited the beach and it was like that. The so.
2: so What you've just described is disgusting to me and yeah. I don't even care. Yeah. But I feel like for you, it would be so hard to explain. It's not just that I don't like this. We have to leave immediately. Yeah,
1: it was just so gross. And I was at the beach this summer and I kind of like remembered the alewives thing. And it was like, oh, I actually kind of like the beach when it's not covered in dead fish. Yeah. <laughs> like-
2: <laughs> Oh, the last question. Have you ever stepped on a fish? I've never stepped on a fish. Interesting. Yeah. Not even close, as far as I know. is really (laughs) silly. Do you think it would be worse if you put yourself back on that beach and imagine that you didn't have shoes for some reason? It would be far worse. Because in general,
1: if I am at the beach, I really don't like to go barefoot.
2: Do you think it would be... Bad to step on a fish if the fish was in the water.
1: Yeah, I would always be worried about that too. Like
2: which is so oh, okay. dumb. Like when I was younger, I'd somewhat
1: tolerate it better if I could see the bottom, but then I was worried they would somehow not move fast enough. And I remember my parents telling me, They're going to see you and they're if you move, they're going to move away. Well, yeah, they are. But <laughs> when you're irrationally afraid of something, it doesn't really help.
2: It doesn't it doesn't matter at all. No.
0: After Averill's interview, we had a chance to chat about her experience with Jenna, our resident mental health person.
3: And even even the worst-case scenario,
0: it's not something that could, like, kill you. Like, it's not something like... I mean, there would have to be, like, a, a Rube Goldberg series of events to actually, like... You slip on the fish. Yeah, I you know like yeah, it's like you'd, all sl- right. you'd slide backward and then you knock over a stack of books in a large library right, yeah. <laughs> but that's not what she's afraid yeah. of. She's afraid of the sensation.
3: Now does that generalize itself to any other sensations? Like no. whether things she finds unpleasant? I mean no. Well and the thing that makes me think of and this is a good example of how similar experiences can just play out for different in different people for different reasons. So when you told me that early experience where she could have potentially stepped on many dead fish And again, I'm not saying that's why she has the phobia, but, uh, you know, I would tentatively say that might have contributed or, you know, whatever it was she did when she was walking on the beach or how she was feeling. Um, When I was younger, the beach that I used to go to in Texas, which, P.S., should say nothing about my personality or politics, (laughs) um, but we would go down to the Gulf of Mexico and it's very common to have jellyfish wash up on the beach. So when you ran around barefoot, you had to look down because you don't want to step on a jellyfish. And there was actually some, you know, objective anxiety about that because that would potentially be bad. Um, But I found it like it was kind of gross or whatever, but I never found it anxiety provoking or it never upset me. It's just different people respond to different things. And a lot of times it's just where you are developmentally, what you know, how you make sense of it. You know, maybe she just had a different experience with dead stuff on the beach.
0: And she was also able to overcome it when she had to. Uh,
2: yes, she. So uh, yeah, she has kids now, um, two tiny children, and one of them is super into fish. Oh, so she she sort of was like, okay, I gotta I gotta show the fish to my children.
3: Well, and the the other thought I had too was, as awful as it is, <laughs> that. Uh, she had to walk through a big display of aquariums to go shopping, which I agree is very unusual in terms of store setup, but being able to do that, I mean, I imagine she went shopping. I mean, to me, that's exactly the point. Like, you can have corrective experiences where you can sort of be like, "All right, well, I did that, and you know, the sky didn't fall in.
2: I'm not sure if she would have described it as corrective in those cases, because it was just that it was horrible both times. Like, yeah, I had to do it, and it was awful, and I was worried the fish were going to jump out. Oh,
3: yeah. Well, I don't think it's, I don't think a corrective experience means you feel better about it. It just means... You you did did it. Yeah, you did it. It's something that you maybe would have avoided or something you have anxiety about, and you just can sort of override the irrational part of it and just go about your day. And it's fine if you can't, too. You know, subtly or not, I think sometimes for a lot of people, just even things like I walked by a bunch of aquariums and it sucked, but I did it. Even Mm -hmm. some of that can be like a tiny step toward down the road being like, you know what? My kids need to know about fish. Yeah.
0: And once you've done it, then you can always say, well, I've done this.
3: Right. Yeah. You can use it to sort of, you know, boost yourself. And again, you can sort of keep track of, you know, what can I do? and What can I do? Right. So, you know, if you're worried about going to like, say the shed aquarium, if she's going to take her kid there, right? Like she has you know, some background where she could say, well, I've been able to walk past aquariums. Yeah. Not
2: that she would feel that way. Really. Well, like, actually, yeah. though, the shot might be better because there's no lid in a lot of places. Oh, it's yeah. just in the walls. It's there's true. no way for them to get out. It was, out. It was
0: kind of funny. One of the things she said was that if the aquarium was very clean, she was less worried about it because she thought the fish would be happier in there and wouldn't jump out. Oh, it's very interesting that
3: it is interesting. she
0: was afraid of an unhappy fish jumping out of the committing suicide. I think yeah. that was she that,
2: sat, they were dead on the beach when she was younger. Uh, I don't like, you know what I think that hurt. I, I think that when she was the clean tank thing, my guess, and I hate to talk about a person who's not here, but my guess mm-hmm. is that that was probably just a, a way to feel safer about some situations. Yeah. Like she might have seen an aquarium at somebody's house and not wanting to be a crazy person at a party, say. She um, might yeah. have been like, oh, well, you know what? That aquarium's pretty clean. Like, this time it might be okay. Um, that's, yeah. that's my guess from listening to it. I don't know that that's actually what happened.
3: Well, I think that's an example of how defensive mechanisms can work for you. Like, if you can rationalize yeah. that for yourself. I and mean, people rationalize things for themselves constantly, every day. It's, it's a skill set everybody innately possesses.
0: And that's our episode. Thanks to Averill for her willingness to share her story with us, and to Jenna for her ideas as to what might be going on here. Your hosts were Aubrey Henretti, Mark Gronke, and myself, Jeff Wagg. Music for this episode was provided by Podington Bear. This has been a production of the College of Curiosity. You can reach us on Facebook and at collegeofcuriosity.com.